like, what if the patriarchy came in as a way to do all of this so we could rise like the phoenix out of the ashes and remember who the fuck we are? Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Cosmic Laundry podcast. My name is Giselle Plamondon. I am a clinical counselor and psychological astrologer, and I started this podcast to have real grounded conversations about all of these seemingly woo-woo and mystical things. My guest today is Krista Ryerson from Chalice Grove. And man, you guys are going to love this episode. Krista is a literal earth angel. She has so much wisdom. And when she speaks, you just know that she's speaking from her heart, from her truth. You know that she's not just regurgitating information that she's learned. It's, It's an embodied type of wisdom. And I always know when I'm speaking to people who embody the wisdom that they're offering because I get so lit up and so excited. And for the rest of the day, I was like on fire. I was so inspired and I was doing so much. And um, I just remember feeling a little bit like I was high or like I had, you know, drank half a bottle of wine or something. Like I was just feeling really good and if you guys listen closely you can tell I was actually really sick like I almost canceled the recording in the morning but I um just you know had a felt like I shouldn't so I didn't but I was sick like also high on cold meds so maybe that's part of the whole equation um but I was not feeling well at all and that conversation totally perked me right up. I got so much work done for the rest of the day. And for me, that's always a clear indicator that the person that I, you know, just spent time with or had a conversation with is a clear channel. And what I mean by that is that they are sharing authentically. They are sharing their truth and they are sharing, you know, with integrity and with wisdom because there's no kinks in it and there's nothing that that kind of, you know, drains the energy or the passion from it. Anyways, I know you're all going to love this episode. We talk about archetype, obviously, that's Krista's thing. Um, And then we talk about psychology, we talk about the zodiac, we go over her birth chart, specifically her grand trine. Um, We talk about the patriarchy, we talk about feminine energy, you know, we just really dive into a lot of things and this episode um, was really, really fun for me and I'm stoked to finally share it with you all. So if you guys love it, please leave a review. I also love getting messages, um, just, you know, sharing what you liked, what you want to see more of, all of those things, because I really, I mean, I love the podcast and I love what I do, but I do this for you. That sounds weird, but I, I do. Like, I do it because I want to share with you guys and I want to engage you guys in the process which is another reason why um I don't like the podcast to feel like an you know an uptight interview I want it to feel like you're literally here having this conversation with us so please let me know what you're enjoying and what you want to see more of so that I can deliver that for you anyways let's just dive right into the episode it's a good one you're gonna love it talk to you later Um, okay, so the first thing, I like to go into a little bit of people's backgrounds. 
just a little yeah. bit. I know some podcasts it's really long. It's like half an hour of them talking about the eighth grade and you're like, okay, just move on. But yeah. I do like to know a little bit of how people get into the things that they get into. So you said you started with astrology and then went into psychology. Yeah. So from the age of a very, very young girl, I was really, really fascinated with astrology, but more so sun signs. I didn't understand anything beyond yeah. that we had a sun sign. And I was constantly had my nose in horoscopes. I was always reading other people's horoscopes. People were gifting me astrology books. Like I just really loved it. And then along the way, and because of the work I do, I now understand why there was a separation between it. But there was a lot of discourse in my house, be it subtle or not so subtle, around this type of lifestyle, i.e. the people who believe in the metaphysical, um, that there wasn't merit to that, that these were strange people or weird people or whatever the, the discourse or languaging is around that. And so I learned that if I wanted love and belonging from my family, then I would need to take somewhat of a um, standard path, if you will. And so for me, that looked like, well, I love people and I, I, I really can relate to people and what's going on for them. People would come to me with their issues all of the time to help me problem solve. And so I was like, well, I don't know, maybe I'd be good at psychology. It's just one of those things you're just like, you don't really know, you're just choosing something randomly. And I don't believe in there being a random act of choice. Um, I don't think there are wrong choices. I think that there are multiple avenues for us to take, but they're all going to lead us to the thing that we are supposed to be led to anyway, because what belongs to us will always be ours, unless we are making decisions in this life that are going directly against that because we have some sort of internal other agenda that needs healing or looking at. And that means that that's the path you were supposed to take then anyway, right? Mm -hmm. But we can in this life make choices that align us to our highest path as opposed to just the law of cause and effect where we're being just dragged by karma, if you will. So through that, I chose the psychology path. I really enjoyed it. And then I had so many people after that, I'm sure you had the same thing happen where your family members are like, cool, but what are you going to do with that? Like, what are you going to do with a psychology degree? Um, and I always found it incredibly fascinating that in psychology, they ne you never had to do a practicum. There was no working hours. So you really were at the whim of the program and you needed to take your master's after to make anything happen. And I was going to do that. If you asked me back then what my big goal was, it was probably to be uh, a clinical psychologist. And so I took, I decided to take about a year or two off and that really um, derailed or re-railed me into what I'm doing now. And the way that it did that, and this is so important for people's process, because this is very universal, the way I was rerouted was through immense pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, at the end of my degree, I started partying a lot. I started using lots of drugs and alcohol. I was looking for community in all the wrong places. I was doing what I thought was quote unquote normal. And my brain did not respond very well to those drugs. And deeper than that, I had a lot of psychological um, 
and wounds and trauma and pain underneath the surface in the subconscious from childhood, that the drugs themselves were actually opening my system where that started to rise to the surface. And then I had no choice but to start to look at these things. But at the time, I really thought the drugs had set me off and that's what was wrong. And I'm not saying that that's not true. It's just not the whole story. I actually do believe that sometimes plant medicines, um, if they're drugs that aren't chemically based, they can offer us uh, a deeper look at what's actually really going on right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's how it unfolded was I, I, I ended up developing a severe and debilitating anxiety disorder. And it got so bad that I almost couldn't leave the house anymore. And so I'm a very outgoing person. I really love people. I can, you can throw me in any room, I'll find my way. And at this time in my life, that was not the case. It was getting to be quite scary. The world was quite scary. I had PTSD from one of my best friends dying, and I didn't realize it yet until years later. Um, and I had a lot of trauma. I, I have a lot of. I had a lot of birth trauma, and because I was born three months early, and I was so underweight, and my mother had to leave the hospital right away because she had to get healing from her family, and we were in a foreign city that we didn't live in. Uh, I ended up being in an incubator for three months by myself with no physical contact. There was nobody holding me. There was nobody like people put their, their hands into the gloves, you know, and then they would open it to like feed you. But other than that, I really wasn't held. And if you look at the research now on the importance of skin to skin contact, it actually makes so much sense to me that I would develop what would later be this anxiety disorder because I didn't feel that the world was a safe place. Because when in Kundalini Yoga, when, which is also my background, when you separate a mother from a baby, so the, the baby leaves the mother's electromagnetic field, which is up to nine feet, then what happens is, is it can't integrate further into that. And it sets off what Chinese medicine calls the triple warmer system. And so it's constantly living in this fight or flight or freeze response. And again, my mother was gone, right? And this is also why I believe when, when kids are, um, have adoptive parents, sometimes it doesn't matter how loving these parents are and how much nurturing they give to these babies, there's still this sense that something's missing or that they've been abandoned or they're not loved because the root causes so much deeper and it's actually incredibly pragmatic. It's all about the electromagnetic field of the body, how we feel that we're part of our mom. And then if that's separated, it, cause, uh, it causes a separation before the child's actually ready because usually that separation where a baby understands it's not its mother happens at about two or three and that's when they say the terrible twos the toddler year starts to happen because they start to recognize oh my god I'm not my mom I'm actually my own person and if I don't do something in alignment with my mother's wants needs and desires um, I could be not fed, not taken care of. But then what's happening is there's a reverse happening because the medicine is often in its opposition, right? So when a child feels that it's having uh, this break from its mother, it starts to execute its will, right? Like temper tantrums, mine, me. And so when you look at it through a developmental process, all of this stuff starts to make sense, but I didn't have those tools yet. And so um, when I had the anxiety attack, I just thought something was terribly wrong with my brain. That's the model that has been fed to us for a very long time. And so I thought I'd be hospitalized, you know, yeah. but for some reason there was just this inner knowing when I sat with it more and more. And I realized that I could heal myself 
and I didn't have to go on pharmaceuticals, but I was going to have to change absolutely everything about the current reality I lived in. And I did. And it was terrifying. I, I left all of my friends behind. I moved into a one bedroom apartment. I cried almost every single day. I wrote affirmations on every single window or mirror or like you name it. And I just started from the ground up. And that's like really how this process began. And so uh, for me, the anxiety was, was the best thing that ever happened to me. Of course, it doesn't feel like that when it's happening to you. Yeah. But it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And so it's an ongoing thing. Someone who is as sensitive as, as we are, uh, any highly sensitive person who often is prone to mental illness because of the sensitivity, they need to be mindful because this is something you potentially can live with for a long time. You can minimize its effects drastically by the food that you eat, by the people you hang out with, by the quality of your thoughts, meditation, yoga, all of those things. But you're still going to have that experience of maybe being a sensor, sensory overload, you know? And yeah. so what I love is one of my teachers, Guru Jagat, who you probably know, she does a lot of work online. So many people know her. She says, instead of saying, I feel so anxious right now, rather replace it with wow i feel sensitive right now like i'm really taking in a lot of stimulus mm -hmm. and, and notice how you're leaking that energy out and then just and and consciously pull it back into your core and come back to your own energy field or acknowledge that you're out there and that 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 it's safe out there but when you're in the beginning it doesn't feel safe out there so you, you got to have tools to start bringing everything back so that's how this whole thing started and that's um what led me to create Mala Beads, which is how my company Chalice Grove started, was actually through jewelry. Yes. And before jewelry, actually, it was uh, I was I was creating these vases that had wild flowers in them. So I would go out and pick wild flowers. Chalice Grove was a total hobby business. It was a way for me to get creative, so I could find my way back to myself. Oh, and I so love that. <laughs> yes, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, so sorry, I cut you off, but you were making vases and, you know, going and picking wildflowers. So that no, you not, yeah, all good. Um, yeah, so I was in nature because I truly believe nature is the fastest way you can heal. If you are, if you're at ground zero and you don't know what to do, you get outside, you take your shoes off, you stare at a stream, a rock, a branch, a leaf, it, I don't care, but you, you sit there and you just, you let there be space for you to commune with your most basic nature, which is the, well, it's the, the archetype of the earth mother. And it's really, it's the root chakra. So it's really where we start to, where healing starts to really um, move from the ground up. And um, yeah, so nature was number one. I was making these vases, started selling them at markets, did really well. But then I started having dreams about making jewelry and about stringing beads. And I have no background in jewelry. Like my degree is psychology and English or my double majors. And so I really thought I was going to end up in an academic world. I, I had a lot of pride around my academia. So when I thought about making jewelry again, it was like, well, this is fun. This will just be a cute little thing I do on the side. And I, I got in at a really good time too. I think there was maybe only one or two other mala companies at the time. And so when I started making malas, it exploded. Like when I look back on it, I didn't, I didn't realize how big it actually was, um, especially locally. Like maybe not online, it wasn't as massive or I didn't, I didn't blow up like a mala and me or tiny devotions like that. 
but as far as every single time I showed up for a market, I would sell so many things. Like I couldn't keep jewelry on the table. So that was an indication that I was on to something. (laughs) And mala beads really helped to save my life in a lot of ways because they helped me with the meditation process. I had a very over analytic analytical mind, which that Virgo rising Mercury ruler will do to you. (laughs) And so I, I thought a lot and overanalyzed a lot and that was became a lot of the bane of my existence. And so using mala beads really helped to focus my attention to ground you right yeah 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 i love this is what i love about talking to people who are doing things right because on the surface you look at it looks like they're doing one thing right so if you look at at your instagram it looks like you're blending like this really beautiful psychology and then the kundalini but there's all of this other like stuff that you're carrying that, that contributes to your wealth of knowledge, right? So it's, it's not just what it looks like on the surface, which I think is so cool. And I find that a lot of women especially are starting to share, like this is what, what I love about women-led businesses because they're so intuitive and so feminine and so, so healing. And I think it's because so many of us are sharing what's worked for us. And oh, so there's, there's this really like intimate, knowledge of the stuff we're working with because we've relied on it for our own healing yeah no one's gonna know that thing better than someone who also needed it yeah you know which is why it's my favorite question to ask entrepreneurs is like how did you get started like what why why was this birthed into creation right because women are birthing so much more than children now and this is this is relatively a new thing Mm -hmm. you know for the longest time, women's place was in the home and raising children. And while that is such a high calling and it is so beautiful and we absolutely need that and I have such reverence for it, it's also important that women are, are birthing these other forms of creation into the world because it will offer the highest form of healing because women are the portal to creation, right? Yogi Bhajan, who brought Kundalini to the West, said the highest incarnation is a woman and that if God was incarnated, it would be woman. (laughs) So, and I don't say that to um, belittle our counterpart, right? Like I have, there's so much, we need divine masculine energy more than ever actually. But, but that lives within us. There is no outside of us. So it doesn't matter what our gender is. It's being, it's being brought to the, the surface by how we're relating to ourselves and creating internal balance so that we can offer that medicine to the world. And, um, and this is what I love about the LGBTQ community. They're not really um, within these terms of, well, this is masculine and this is feminine because I'm in this body or that body. It's like we are an oscillating, ever-moving structure. We are multidimensional. We are multifaceted beings. And the more we study quantum physics, the more we know that there's not really much of us here anyway. It's all just energy bleeping in and out. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, and, and actually, that's one of the things, because I just recently got into Kundalini, so I was exposed to it a little bit in my early 20s, and I was like, this is really weird, never doing this again, like, get the fuck out of here, um, and then, you know, just recently, probably in the past year, I've been exposed to it a little bit more, and it was Yogi Bhajan's women's teachings that really solidified it for me, I was like, okay, this, 
makes me feel so powerful. So yes, yeah, it's just like, I mean, here's the thing, like I grew up in the prairies in Saskatchewan. Right. The men around me are very, you know, they're they're great, but they, they don't, like I was never taught to be powerful or I was never um, shown how powerful the feminine is, right? So even the things that I remember being praised for growing up were all my more masculine traits, right? My ability to like, my, my knowledge and my intellect and, and all of those different things. And so I feel like I had cut myself off from that divine feminine for so, so long. And then Kundalini was really the thing that made me be like, okay, hey, maybe I need to re- reconnect back to this thing. And then once I did that, everything started to expand, right? And so it, it's interesting too, like with Kundalini, it's even that thing of like on the surface, again, it looks like it's just like these weird movements that we do, but there's this you know, all of this knowledge and these teachings that, that are supporting it, that are so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most potent practices I've ever encountered, which is why I do it. I mean, yeah. I have never had the amount of transformation in, in such a time frame as I have doing Kundalini yoga. Like I could do a breath for three minutes, mm-hmm. completely shift my electromagnetic field to the point where I can feel it now before when you're not as subtle you're living a little bit more in the dense 3d reality those subtle shifts you don't notice but now it's like whoa and a lot of people do feel it even in the 3d reality well all of a sudden they're they're feeling lightheaded or they're feeling you know woozy um, or they cough or they need a moment because it's really sending the nervous system into into strength and the glandular system into balance through the nervous system strength so that is why it is bar none the practice I have chosen to not only do, but then teach. I, the first time I ever did a Kundalini uh, class, I think it was like a Gabrielle Bernstein right. ego eradicator, three mm-hmm. minutes. I couldn't even hold my arms up for three minutes. And I think this was in 2011. So Chalice Grove, I don't even think was born yet. And I knew at that time that I was going to be a teacher. Yeah. Six years to answer that call. I just wasn't ready. So. Yeah. So then did you practice all throughout that time? No. I mean, I had a very similar experience as you. Like I would do little practices at home and it would feel good. Mm -hmm. But then when I would do public classes, I only did a few before I took teacher training, actually. I felt so open and exposed and raw and then not safe in the environment with all those people again based on trauma from this life and others in my belief system and Mm -hmm. so i to practice like that was too confronting to me Mm -hmm. so um i ended up doing a class once that in edmonton actually and it was so opening that i ended up just like bawling most of the class and i don't think i came back to a kundalini class for another year i just it it opened me right up and i and my nervous system wasn't quite ready to handle that yet because I was still going through such a, um, a healing process from when I originally had the, the mental break, which is what I'll call it because circling back around to when we're talking about how the system teaches us that there's just mental illness and there's not actually something deeper going on. It's like the truth is, is we, we have this internal guidance system, right? We have this ability to be led to the thing that we need. And sometimes for people that looks like a mental break because some of us 
have to go through a death of self that actually feels physical as well. You know, in ancient cultures, if someone starts to hear voices or has these sorts of experiences, that's when they call on the shaman, right? That's when this person goes with the shaman and they start learning from them so that they can fill in that role within the community. But now we just, we lock people up and put them into isolation and often don't even give them access to nature, which is the two things that these people need more than anything mm -hmm. is to be in community with other people and to be immersed back in nature. Like the system itself is so broken. It breaks my heart. And I know that it will shift. I know that there yeah. are many psychologists right now doing the work to make that happen that I'm so excited about. We live in a really fascinating time, but at the same time, <coughs> we are living in a time where we're, we're diagnosing people with all sorts of things now so that uh, the shareholders of pharmaceutical companies can get rich. And it's mm -hmm. really, really unfortunate. And this is why it's so important for women to align back to their, or anyone that identifies with feminine energy to align back to their femininity because the planet needs it so that this sickness, and I don't want to put it all on women. It's just, mm -hmm. we've forgotten we've forgotten that we were the gatekeepers and we were the protectors of this land long before, um, you know, there was a patriarchy. It yeah. really was women who yeah. owned that. And there's a Native American legend that goes, and I mean, probably not a legend, but um, a story rather that depicts how, how women were entrusted to keep the land safe and that the patriarchy and not men as a whole, but just mm -hmm. this unconscious masculine energy decided to, that it wanted access to the earth, right? And so the easiest way to do that was to take feminine energy down and down and down until it forgot who it was, mm -hmm. until it was subservient, until it felt it needed the masculine, until it felt it had to compete with other feminine energies. And when that happened, we no longer were protecting. And when we're no longer protecting, patriarchy could come in and could rape and pillage the yeah. earth, right? Because we're no longer understanding that we are the ones who say no and that it is a complete Yeah, and I, oh man, this conversation is gonna be gr so great. Like we're gonna have to make sure that we cut it off at like the certain amount of time or it'll be four hours long. But yeah, I mean, and like, if you want to look into this from a deeper perspective too, like, I don't know who it was who decided to start, like what their strategy was for taking down the feminine, but they did a really good job because I mean, even if you look at like, what does a feminine being want most? They want love. They want to feel full. They want that experience of like deep emotion and deep intimacy. So then what do you do? You make women and feminine beings insecure about whether they're lovable and worthy. So how do you do that? You attack their radiance. You attack their beauty. You um, just generally make it seem like even in relationship, like they have to do more. And the really interesting thing is like, as women, as we tap into our feminine energy, our feminine radiance, that's actually when the masculine is the most drawn to us. Oh, yeah. right? So this like over masculinization of women that we've seen that seems to be like, it's how we're raised. So it's how you think you're supposed to be. And it's, it's how you think other people want you to be. When you start to strip that away and just be instead of, you know, being so focused on what you're doing, it's like a magnet. 
right? And so it's like this like hidden secret that has been hidden from all of us. And when you tap into it, you're like, fuck, I've been doing it wrong the whole time, you know? And so it's just really interesting when you start looking at all of the different layers of this and, and how the the current way that society looks came to be, because it doesn't feel like an accident. It feels very, very um, calculated because it worked really well. But also it's such a cool time right now to see so many women kind of waking up and also so many men like reconnecting back to their inner feminine. I think that's the, the coolest thing to see too. That's probably one of you know, one of the things that I feel the most reverence for in my work as a therapist is when I have like a big, burly, masculine dude come into my office and cry for an hour. Like I just like, there's so much grace and so much reverence in that I feel. And I, and I also, I really want to touch down on the point that like, while we're incarnated in human form, it can feel very much like, oh, I'd made the wrong choice or I've been doing this wrong. I haven't mm -hmm. been feminine or men are like, I've been doing this wrong. I've been too, mascu too masculine and I haven't been feeling my feelings or whatever the scenario is. There's multiple ways you can play that out. But, you know, there is no wrong, you know, that's the part of Kundalini Yoga. There are these 10 bodies, right? We have a physical body that we can see, feel and touch. Then we have three mental bodies and we have six energetic bodies. And one of those, well, with the three minds, bodies, we have the positive mind, the negative mind, and the neutral mind. And while we're incarnated in human form, everything down to the smallest microorganism is polarized, right? So we have a positive and a negative pole. This is what makes our electromagnetic field. So we think in terms of good, bad, right, wrong, yes, no, up, down, mm -hmm. masculine, feminine, and all of that is real. But it's not true in the sense that what we really are is the container that just holds all of it, right? Yes, yeah. And in Sacred Contracts with Carolyn Mace, she talks a lot about how when the soul incarnates, it says, I want to learn this lesson. Who here loves me enough to teach it to me? And so mm -hmm. one soul raises its whatever. I don't think it has an arm, but yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And just was like, I want to teach that to you. So we're going to incarnate at this time. We're going to meet in this place. How that lesson comes about, who knows? It could be deep heartbreak. It could be betrayal, mm -hmm. right? But regardless, if you wanted to learn, let's say, forgiveness, then that person actually is an angel that's been sent to you to help you learn that lesson. And I think it's the same with the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. We can look at it in a way that's like, yeah, this thing happened and we've been suppressed this long and this is what's been happening. But what if that actually came in as a gift? This is just a, a switch in perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And this is everything. This changes our whole reality when we can start to see things with a new lens. And so all of a sudden, it's like, what if the patriarchy came in as a way to do all of this so we could rise like the phoenix out of the ashes and remember who the fuck we are, yeah. right? So then it becomes really powerful and it becomes this co-creative thing that we're doing with the masculine that mm -hmm. we've agreed upon these terms before we came here so that we could all wake the fuck up. <laughs> I really like that. And I do think too, like everything has to go through cycles anyways. Like we, we needed that to happen. We needed Trump to come into office. We needed all of this different stuff because without it, without that polarity, um, you know, you can't have one without the other. So, so we need all of it to happen. So yes, I really appreciate that you brought that perspective up too, because I do find, 
um, it's so easy for us to get into victim consciousness. And I know that's a huge part of the work that you help people break through, right? Is the, the victim archetype. Wow. Do you see that in most of the clients that you work with? Well, everyone. So yeah. every human on the planet shares four archetypes. And is that the bulk of the work that you do? Is helping so, through that? So no. I'll move into that a little bit, actually. That'll just yeah. add some, some clarity to it. So I work with archetypes, but archetypes are innumerable. So anyone you know who works with archetypes probably isn't working. There might be overlap, but they're probably not working with the same ones because archetypes are not only innumerable, but new ones are being created all the time based on the energy that we're giving out. I'll give you an example. So in the baby boomer generation, there was a lot more of pain, wounding, trauma around the, the inner child because children were to, to be seen, not heard. Children were just often an extra pair of hands to help out with the family. Children were not seen as their own uh, innate beings of wisdom and beauty and love and that they had all of these tools. It was like, no, we're going to mold you into what we want. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of abuse that was passed down from the, the war generation before. And it makes sense why, right? Mm -hmm. And so... <clears throat> When you move into these, the child archetype, it's like that's what we were plugging into as a, as a collective when we were born. Even my generation, when it was born, that's still what I was plugging into. But with this uprise of yoga and meditation and self-care and people like taking time not only to reparent themselves, but to speak to their inner children with love and kindness, there is a new energy that starts being created because everything is just frequency and everything it's energy and frequency and all frequency carries information. So if I'm, if I'm taking five minutes out of my day and I'm saying, I love you inner child, I love you little Krista. Well, what that's doing is it's, it's creating a new energy. And so everyone on the planet that's also doing something similar creates a new energy, that energy, that pattern becomes a new archetype on the planet. So then all of a sudden there's a new archetypal pattern. So that's one example. And another one is, there wasn't an example of like the networker before there was the internet, right? So it, it, when our consciousness shifts, archetypal patterns shift as well. And so this is why they're always changing. Now, what's super fascinating about the work that I do is it found me, yes. <laughs> which I know happens for a lot of people, but mm -hmm. I was making the jewelry. I was actually waitressing to get out of debt at the time. I was a manager at a pub, so I pretty much did all of the things. And I ended up meeting this woman who saw that I was wearing a mala and said, where did you get that? And I said, well, I made it. And I, I worked at the type of place that nobody knew what malas were. Like this was like a blue collar, rough, tumble, yeah. you know, place. Mm -hmm. And that inspired a conversation, which led me to go home. And I felt so inspired to like, look up the alchemist and the high priestess and all these concepts, but I didn't know that they were archetypes right I had no idea that that was a connection until this woman I had met also recommended I come into contact with this other woman that she worked for so I went to her website and saw that she was a herbalist or is a herbalist she still does this work and she was working with these different archetypes and out of the all the archetypes that she had, she had 14 in in total um I was working with like eight of them I had already written them down and was going <laughs> to um, I was turning them into jewelry, essentially, first and foremost. And so through that, I actually created uh, what's called the Archetype Series with Chalice Grove. And that was jewelry first. And then 
through that, I ended up doing a small little workshop I created to go a little bit deeper on these archetypes, which was a three hour workshop, which then turned into a course that was a couple of days, which then now turned into an online signature program that I offer that is about an eight month course really, because each module you can take a minimum of two weeks and uh, as much as a month or more if you want to, to actually go through it. So I work with all the same archetypes as my mentor. She works with four archetypes that show up in every single chakra. And a lot of this was work that was spun off of Ambika Waters work because Ambika Waters was one of the first people to take archetypes and put them with chakras. And then my mentor saw that with her clients, that that was happening as well. And then she saw an evolving process. So then the torch got passed on to me and with her permission, I started to create this program, which has now turned into its very own thing because I saw an opportunity to blend epigenetics, quantum physics, kundalini yoga with this psychology from Carl Jung, even a little bit of Freud, and then also have some of the great um, people in there, like Carolyn Mace, who has been working with archetypes and talking about them for a long time. And so the four archetypes we all have in common is the victim. So at, at a different point in people's life, there always is the victim showing up, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's part of all of our consciousness. We haven't learned to transcend that pattern yet. Another one is the child, obviously. We all have an inner child, but there's multiple different ones that in the course you learn how to muscle test for to see which one you are. And then we also all have the prostitute and the saboteur, right? And so people under understand and recognize that they sabotage themselves or that they're in victim consciousness from time to time. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the prostitute, many people are like, that is not me. What does that mean? And all it's about is you're, you're trading a pe- your soul mm-hmm. or a piece of your soul mm-hmm. in return for what feels like safety or belonging. Yeah. Right. Oh, and I really like that. So I do a lot of inner child and reparenting work myself, but then also with clients, but I like that model of looking at them different so like the prostitute I'm assuming it sounds like that's part of us that self-abandons yeah so well within these four archetypes they stand alone okay within the child archetype Mm -hmm. there is multi like there's the magical child there's the child there's the wounded child right right? and so that's a little bit more where like the abandonment would come from would be the child but of course, all of these are informing each other, right? Yeah. So okay. Yeah. Or wounded child. Well, that's going to play into the the pattern of the of the prostitute, which was a pattern I had very deeply. I mean, again, all of us have these, but we're tuning into them at varying degrees. And so I had that where I was working at a job that was soul sucking mm-hmm. in for for money. And a lot of people do this because most of us are actually living out of a deep uh, subconscious program around fear. Because again, our, our culture hasn't been able to really look at the truth of, of, of what we are. And so that leads to a lot of fear and the separation wound from uh, creation, essentially, which is the first wound. And so when you start, when you, the power of knowing your archetype is that you can actually start to, or even knowing which patterns you're plugging into, you can start to bring awareness to them and you can't change anything that you're not aware of. You know this, this is massive mm-hmm. in, in all work that has to do with healing. So when you know that you're plugging into these, these four archetypes, 
sense, you can start to see, wow, today I'm living in fear and blame. That means I'm actually in victim consciousness. I'm not taking responsibility for anything today. I'm making it that person's fault and that person's fault and that person's fault. And victim consciousness is, is, a, is a disease on this planet. It's a sickness, right? We're, we're not taking responsibility for the energy that we're bringing to any given situation. And then that leads me to when you get into the chakras, what happens is, is four different styles of muscle testing to find out what your dominant chakra is, which will lead you to your dominant archetypes. That being said, we are all of them because we're not yes, no, up, down, right, wrong. We are, we are the container where all of it exists. But while we are incarnated in human form, all of us have a dominant center. And that dominant center runs from chakras two through six. And the reason it doesn't do one and seven is because we're all earth and ether, right? Mm -hmm. We're all part of, of the heavens and we're all part of the earth. It's one of the greatest paradoxes of our time, right? Is that we are, we are a soul incarnated in a body. Yeah. So that is why you are looking at between chakras two and six. And then within that, there are four archetypes that um, two shadow archetypes which I always preface with are not negative mm -hmm. can feel negative. They can look really negative in your external reality. And yet they are the ones to become allies with and make friends yeah. with to sit with because they will guide you to your expanding archetype that can really help you uh, explode in what it is that you've come here to do, what your gifts are, what your talents are and how to share that with the world. So yeah, archetypes become this really powerful way to understand that not only do we have personal archetypes, but we have, you know, what Carl Jung would call the collective unconscious. And these are um, archetypal figures. They're the psychic counterpart to instincts, right? And so a lot of archetypal patterns are inherited. And through that, that's why I get into epigenetics, because we can actually, through our environment, start inheriting these same archetypal patterns that our parents have and that their parents had. And if we wanna change that, if we want something to change in our reality because we don't like what we're seeing, we need to first be aware of the pattern. Pattern just means archetype, they're interchangeable. And then we can do something about it, right? So this is the potential to change people's lives. Yeah, hugely, hugely. And what I like about it too is that when we talk about epigenetics and like, you know, the subconscious mind and things like that, like people's eyes glaze over, right? Unless you're into this stuff, you're like, okay, I don't want to listen to it. But, but making it about archetype and creating like story and these like almost personifying those, those patterns really, I think that could really help people to, to actually do the work and to listen and for it to land in a way that is um, digestible. So that's really, really cool. I'm super fascinated by all of this. Obviously, I love archetypes. I'm an astrologer with a background in psychology, so I love it. But um, yeah, that's so fascinating to me. And I'd be so curious to see if the, the chakra archetypes, like the archetypes that people have as their predominant one with the muscle testing and with the chakras if that aligns with their um zodiac archetypes i'd be so curious to see that yeah and honestly without even i mean as you know i am creating another course around it to, to which i'm excited about yeah and astrology 
but without even knowing yet, I already know the answer to that is yes, because I have been a seeker my whole life for, for truth, which, which is a very Sagittarius type mm -hmm. of archetypal pattern, right? Which is my self node. And so with this quest for truth, it's something I've done in many lives. I've looked for what is true with a capital T. And so when at a very young age, when I was raised, I was raised in what's called the Baha'i faith. And this specific religion has a very open viewpoint where it's an individual search for truth. And once you find that truth, you decide if you want to be a Baha'i, right? So it actually encourages you to go out and look for what's true for you. And because I was raised in that way, and I'm not an active Baha'i anymore, but I always hold that with such reverence because it really allowed me to then look into religion deeper mm, and yeah. to see the through line in everything. And the more work I do in this more metaphysical realm, the more I see that it's absolutely all connected. And yeah. it even goes, the astrology is connected to the 10 bodies. So your tantric numerology, which is connected to the archetypes. And this is, this is something I'm working on to do readings for people, which is, you know, we were talking about, but is not yet released is mixing and blending these modalities because there is something very potent about the combination because there is a through line to everything. Yeah. And my work is non-denominational, so mm -hmm. you do not have to be part of, it's not guiding someone to a religion. Yeah. Right? However, I am always honoring of this through line and so when we can take that deeper seat in our consciousness and see that then we then it gets exciting because we yeah. see how everything is connected and how there actually is truth to everything yes but it's been yeah. very skewed to serve a very select few group of people so yeah yeah and i yes definitely and i think too one of the things that i believe is that you know god universe whatever you know language you want to use for that like she speaks to you in the way that like in the language that you understand yeah. so i you know i definitely have the same experience of i'll try something new and then as i'm like immersed in that thing i can see all of the connections to all these other things and so i always tell people like sometimes i'll have people that are like you know i don't know if i believe in astrology and i'm like okay cool find something you do believe in because it's all gonna you know bring you back to the same place if it's working right it'll just bring you back into yourself and that's all this stuff is supposed to do um but yeah so uh, yeah I, I definitely will be curious to see because I bet that that you're right that they will interlace interlace in that way so yeah. that would be really cool yeah yeah what um I'd love to go into some of the Zodiac archetypes if you're into that. Yeah, I am. Okay. Let's do a little bit about, let's do your three primaries and my three primaries. And that'll give us half the Zodiac. Does that work? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So what, oh, I'm so excited. Um, what would, like, so you have a Leo sun. So what would the primary archetype would that be? So when I'm looking at a Zodiac, I'm not only pulling the zodiac itself, obviously, mm -hmm. I'm also pulling its ruler. Mm. And the ruling planet, and the reason I do this, so even if you have um, on the left-hand column, all of your planets that were in your natal chart at birth, and in the right-hand column, all of your zodiac sign, I'm taking a combination of not only the zodiac, 
and its ruler, but also the planet it sits in and that archetype. So those two things start playing with each other very strongly. Does that make sense? Yes, so the house as well. I, houses will start to be worked in there, but mm -hmm. as of right now, I'm not even working with the houses. I'm okay. just starting to land into the patterns that show up just with a basic, very basic chart. You look, you can look right at it and say, okay, houses is the next layer that's going to come onto it. Cool. But yes. for the sake of this conversation, that will start getting really like a lot deeper. So we'll, <laughs> so we'll, leave, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it with that. So when you're looking at, at Leo, you're looking at this leader, right? You're, but I'm looking at it as the power of the sun. So an archetypal pattern is really going to be this masculine dominance, mm -hmm. which in this case, we're talking about the light and the dark of it always because everything is in the polarity in human form. And so we have different psychic centers in our body that are responding to the planets. I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. And so depending on where the, the, the planets are, and it's exciting as a culture, we're starting to follow the moon, but mm -hmm. there are so many other planets that are playing into these psychic centers. And so if you have Leo somewhere going on in your chart, well, now it's like, where is this, this, um, this masculine energy, is it, is it showing up positive or negative in my life? How am I stepping into my leadership? How am I stepping into um, my ability to lead with my heart? Because a lot of people don't understand that Leo is so much about the heart space and the inner child, right? So these are archetypes that start to play in there. It's not just like I have one archetype for a Leo. There's, it's so multifaceted. And so you can start to play off of all of these key aspects. It's like, well, it's the sun. It's the giver of life. It's a masculine energy. It can be more rooted in 3D reality. It is this leadership role. It's also this playful, divine mm -hmm. um, child that mm -hmm. sees the magic. It's leading with the heart space. And um, so depending on where that shows up in your house, that's going to affect you differently, depending on how that shows up in your, in your chart. So for me, it's my sun sign. And I have a tendency to be very masculine, at least I had in the past. And, but I know my dominant chakra now. And so I know actually I'm very much ruled by water. And if you go deeper in my chart, you'll see based on my houses that I am very ruled by water because each house also has, is a, has a ruler that's ruled by an archetype, right? So, but yeah, it's more of the leader. So it's really like stepping into this leadership role. Cool. I love that. Yeah. And you do have a lot of, so you have a lot of earth, but also a lot of water. And I can't wait to get into your ground trying to, so we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, okay. And then Virgo. So do you, you know, do you resonate with your Virgo rising? Cause it is like almost a Libra rising. Yeah. So the way that I've had it read to me is mm -hmm. that when you have, and again, this is something I, I, I have intuited a bit, but when you have a really large degree, you're taking up a lot of space in a, in a, a, a section in a house, you, that's something that you've mastered over lifetimes, yeah. right? And, and Yogi Bhajan says, we actually have 8.4 million lives before we incarnate into human form. Wow. Yeah. So you could be a fly and your life could be two minutes right? You could be uh, what, whatever, and it could last like a week or, but it takes all of these other lives. And because human is, has been revered as this high form. Mm -hmm. And I think it is, but I also think there are some other things at play, which is a totally different podcast. But when you get into star systems and like why we're here and all of that, that's a, that's, I don't, I don't think that human is the highest incarnation, but I also don't think that it's by any means the lowest incarnation either. I just think it's a, it's a deep time of learning. <laughs> 
it's a new time of learning. And so Virgo for me does feel a lot like home, but because I'm so close, I'm, I'm literally in, in self and I'm birthing to other, right? Because the first three or the other half of the zodiac is really about the self and then it starts to birth into the other. And so because I'm birthing into other, there is this deep need and desire for me to share with the planet, just to take what I've personally learned and to put it out there for other people so that they can heal. But this is also very much a Virgoian archetypal pattern to be the, the, the virgin, right? And to be the, the deity or the, the God even that's in service to creation. And so when we personify it, this looks like someone like the Virgin Mary, right? It's this person who um, was created and, and the story has been told about her. And I believe she was a real person, but it's also an archetypal pattern that she was in that was her coming here to birth into existence Jesus, right? And so she was being of, of greatest service to the world because she was in direct communication with the divine. And so someone who has Virgo, they're like, they have the divine whispering in their ear. They also on the, on the polarity of that, because everything comes in duality in human form, they have a lot of that mercurial energy, which can be neurotic. It can be like paranoid looking over your shoulder, right? And so but if you think about it, that makes a ton of sense for people because people who are often very close to the divine or they hear, get these messages can also be, they're the, the, the easiest and the most sensitive to, to lose their mind as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I do identify with it and I feel that I have done it for a lot of lives mm -hmm. and it's not something I think I'll have to do again is this Virgo archetype. But I'm, I am, the more I know about Virgo, her medicine can be tough to take, mm -hmm. but the more I study her the more I, I've come to really love it and see it for the truth that it is rather than just this neurotic list building organized, right? Like there's so much more to the Virgoian archetype than that. Virgo's so really of service. Yeah. Virgo's really misunderstood. It's one of those few um, signs that no one really seems to know much about and they just kind of like skim over. But Virgo is really, really deep when you really start getting into the story of Virgo and what Virgo's here to do. I love Virgos. I wish I had more Virgo in my chart because I could probably benefit from more of that like devotional energy. Um, but yeah, okay. Yeah, and I just wanted to check in with that because sometimes I find like even the hospital sometimes doesn't even write down the exact right time. Right. So with people, sometimes if it's at that last degree, because I do, I, I follow the type of astrology as well, where it's like when it's in the last few degrees, like you're really, you've mastered that you're, you're, there's like different stages of wisdom within that sign, right? In the third decan, you know, you kind of got it caved, but just like, I like to check in and make sure we even have the right birth time. Yeah. Um, when it's that. Yeah. Degrees. Well, then that's just it. And because it's for me, it could be a couple of minutes off and all of a sudden I'm no longer like, yes, it things really shift for me based on, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, based on my midheaven. So I also, I really uh, resonate with a lot of Vir our Libra qualities as well, you know, but my Taurus moon also might have a huge influence in that because it's both ruled by Venus, right? So it's really 
really deep in this element of what is what's love and beauty to me how can i be ruled by my senses how can i show up and like what tastes good and smell good and feels good like what is tantalizing it's and it's my moon so it's like it's that aspect that i can sometimes keep hidden or i can step into the opposite of it which is like the the stubborn the bull the one who just like will not move, will not change direction. And then even, and this is again, taking it a step deeper because astrology is so complex, but you can also look at its opposition within the Zodiac. And so the opposite of Taurus is Scorpio. And so it's like, well, how do I, how do I step into that based on if I'm not stepping into my, my Taurus fully, how can the shadow side or how can its polarity of Scorpio show up in my life, which is ruled by Pluto, right? So it's like the Lord of the underworld. So then it can, it's, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and it kind of goes down into a, to the, the astrological vortex that we probably could come to love so well. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you take it so, so, so deep. There's so much wisdom. Um, I've started doing write-ups for people. Yeah on their natal chart and I'm like hey I have to cap it at some point because yeah. I can literally write a whole book on just one person's chart yeah. um okay so I think we kind of went into the archetype of, of Taurus but what would yeah. you how would you describe or define Taurus yeah so Taurus energy is it's it's the it's the path of the sensual it's the mm -hmm. sensual path and sometimes this can be looked at archetypally as like hedonistic yeah. right? Where we're only searching for that, which is good, which is an archetypal pattern I actually cover in the course. Um, but this is, this is this ability to um, really see love and beauty in all things and to allow ourselves to be ruled and ask these deeper questions around how we're showing up to to make this world a more beautiful place to bring more beauty to make our our life our art there's so much we can learn from taurus even libra in that way and what's always fascinating too is people often think whatever your sign is that's what you're good at right like oh you're a leo you must just be a leader or oh you're libra you must be so balanced it's like that's actually what we we struggle with usually yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I have this, this, um, this moon of Taurus, I have Virgo rising, Leo sun, but you better believe on the shadow side of all of that. It's like, I doubt my leadership often. I wonder if my work is of service to people and I can just sit in the darkness and not let myself trust my intuition at its most basic sense through my five senses, right? Because the five senses are so powerful for a Taurus. If they live their life by following those senses, they will not be led astray because it's that first hit of intuition before it moves into the higher realms. Yes. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad that you touched on that too, because this is the, the common thing with sun sign is like, that's your personality. Or, um, I do believe in some way that it's your gift, but you, it's a, it's a strength that you have to develop through your life and you're building on it. If yeah. you want to look at the strength that you already have, that you've got case that you don't even have to look at, that's your self-known. But everything else in the chart, like, you're working on that. You, yeah. you still got to do the work. You don't get to just, like, pop out of the womb and be this, like, magnetic leader. You've got to yeah. do the work to get to that point. Yeah. 
and you have a high potential for developing those skills for sure because the sun will help you out but yeah it is like astrology is really misunderstood in pop culture and it's fine like we have to water everything down to make it a little bit more palatable and I think that that happens with everything but um yeah so I'm just glad you touched on that because that is a really common um like misperception with astrology and I love that I love Taurus energy I have like three planets in the second house two of my personal planets are in Taurus so it's not part of my primary constitution but I'm super connected to Taurus energy and I love it so much and I love Taurus moons so that's probably why I saw your like beautiful feed, which was probably the work of the Taurus in you and the Virgo actually. Um, and was like, yes, gotta have her on the podcast. So that's great. Um, okay, so let's go into some of mine. So my rising sign is Sagittarius. Okay. Yeah, so this is, as you know, this is like the explorer, mm -hmm. this is the adventurer, um, but this is the truth seeker right? It's someone who really is constantly asking themselves what is true. And what I love about Sag, just they are so, I mean, Leo and Sag work really well together for the fire signs. I find those are the two that work best. Leo and Aries, it's a little bit more of a headbutt. <laughs> but Sag is so fun and, and can be just what's next and, and an understanding of home is anywhere that I am right like I can find this sense of home within myself and it also is this fire energy so it's also I mean you can't come into contact with a fire sign and not be moved in some way not be alchemized in some way because that fire really helps to burn in and burn out mm -hmm. anything that isn't in alignment with whatever it is that you're working on right so for example if you come into contact with a Sagittarius and they're really in their their expanded archetypal pattern of this of this um explorer right of this truth seeker with the capital t but you're not doing that in your life it's going to mirror to you that which is unhealed and that's going to irritate you and their fire is going to bring that up to be alchemized and so this is why a lot of times people can get really jealous if that's even the right word around fire signs because they're a big energy and yeah. that can draw out the unhealed aspects within, but that's the job of the fire, right? Is yeah. to yeah. literally burn up what it what isn't serving and to alchemize it into something new. So I love Sagittarius. I think it's such a wonderful um archetype to have because it's like let's go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just like yeah, I, I never thought I'd have a business or anything like that because I was like, I just don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be like accountable to anything, but it's about as a Sagittarius finding like a truth or a, an idea that you can be accountable yeah. to and then it's, yeah. it's easier. Um, but yeah, I love hearing other people's, you know, descriptions of the archetypes within the Zodiac because yeah. there's so much wisdom in the different ways that people interpret things. Um, and I love that perspective of like the fire and the alchemy and mm -hmm. makes it really sexy and cool. I like it. Yeah, it's a sexy sign. For sure. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, okay. And then I have a Gemini sun. Oh, and I love Gemini. You know, Gemini gets a lot of misunderstood. Yeah, just like Virgo. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like some of my best friends are Geminis and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's an archetypal pattern that this woman uh, downloaded. She downloaded some new archetypes that she found uh, for each one of the Zodiac. And so she's given them a different name. Mm -hmm. And I don't know her name at this point. I've forgotten. 
Uh, but yeah, she's downloaded these different. And so what she found for, for Gemini is that instead of the twins, mm-hmm. she's now called it the diamond. Ooh. Yeah. And so what I find really fascinating about that is the way that I view the world is that there's, there's one light, like there's one form of creation. And then that light shines down through like a prism, if you will. And then from that prism, it's like, there's hundreds of rainbows everywhere. And that's how I kind of look at the human experience. It's like, there really is this one light that exists inside all of us, but we're all at different stages of realizing that light. We're all at different lifetimes, different incarnations. Some of us have very different priorities while we're here. Some of us want to be awakened. Others are fine to just be living among the confines of the matrix. And it's not that lifetime to be awakened, right? And so they're going to you know, be the naysayers of this kind of work this time around. But eventually we're all getting closer and closer. And the way that I like to describe it, because the way that I see it in my mind is it's like being on a train. There's not a hierarchy where I'm more spiritual than you and therefore I'm better than you and I'm closer to God than you and I have more understanding. It's not like that. That's new age pop culture spiritualist BS. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, I've had enough of it. It's just this only love and only light, the spiritual bypassing that doesn't acknowledge the whole human experience and you just that way Mm -hmm. and so when we're talking about this one light really it's like a train and each person's on a different cart and let's say you know god's driving the the train the big god which just means the generating the organizing and the destroying forces of, of nature of life of creation and so the closer you are to that you're having a different experience it's probably one that feels more elevated because you understand how the universe works and I promise I'll bring this around to, to <laughs> No, it's okay. I'm loving it. And so when you think about this, this train, it's like, well, people are at the very back. They're just not having the same experience. They don't have the same view. You're seeing things before they are on the journey, right? Because you're farther up on this train. And when I think about this new archetype that's been downloaded from this woman called the diamond, well, if you think about it, and it, it's, it's Mercury ruled as well, right? So it's all about communication. It's about being the communicator but also being able to take that light and shine that out and, and to recognize that everything comes, that it's all one light, but we all have our own unique signature or frequency or offering that we're bringing. And I think what's so powerful about Gemini is that they can see both sides of the coin. They can see both sides of the equation. They're a good person to go to if you're confused about something because they're not just going to give you the one side. When they call them the twins, it's like, well, yeah, but they actually have, I mean, we all have more than one personality going on within us anyway. And that's the thing about the Zodiac too. All of us have those patterns within us. It's just those people who have been incarnated at this time are exemplifying that in a way that's like more amplified. Mm -hmm. They're really working with that energy. And so a lot of schizophrenia, for example, and a little, and and disassociation are breaking within our consciousness is a Gemini quality. That's what it is. And so if we can learn that there's actually only one light and it comes out in many forms in this like diamond archetypal pattern, well, then we can actually recognize that it's all fine. And if you happen to be embodying one form today, cool. And if the next day that's something a little bit different, well, that's cool too. And in fact, I think you should keep people on their toes. (laughs) Permission. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever you are, like just because you're spiritual doesn't mean you have to be ABC, 
right? And for the longest time, I, I fell into that trap. I mean, we all do in the beginning because it's like, especially when you're Virgo to the degree I am, I'm like, oh, well, I need to be pious and pure. But the truth is, is like my expression is not just that. I have so many other things I want to show up as. And so Gemini helps us see that and also can, can struggle with that, right? Can really struggle with um, all these aspects of themselves that they don't know what to do with. And it's so important to just take that neutral meditative mind. This is where the tantric numerology comes in. So the fourth, um, the fourth body to just be like, okay, I can see that all of these things are happening and I'm neither of them. I am just the container where it exists. I really, really like that. That's great because yeah, it is this thing I find for me, and I know like different Geminis have to, to find their own way of dealing with that, but I find for me, the, the thing that I need to do is I just channel different energies into different areas of my life. And then that way I can satisfy all of the many facets of me. And I don't necessarily have to be this wildly predictable person all of the time. So then I can show up in a consistent way because that is important to me. Um, I do have my son in the sixth house. So I also don't like to freak people out too much or, um, you know, for someone to call me flaky or inconsistent. Like those were my, my big shadow things that I had to learn to integrate because I am those things, but I hate being called those things. Right. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, the perspective of the, the diamond, I mean, that's really, that's yeah. beautiful. That's such a beautiful way to look at Gemini energy. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've written all of these down and I will find out who it is to give her credit for the archetypal patterns, yeah. but I'm going to, without looking at her work, cause I don't want to look at it. Mm -hmm. I'm using a lot of these new archetypal patterns first to create my expression of them. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I'm not influenced at all by what it is that she's doing. And she's an yeah. astrologer as well. Um, and I can get the name for you, but as I a writer, I yeah. not remember who she is. Yes. Like, yeah, cool. That's really cool. Um, and too, like, because when you think of the diamond and then the light coming through, it creates prisms, and that goes with the youthful kind of energetic quality of Gemini too. So I really like that. Yeah. Um, okay, and then my last archetype, I guess, would be I have an Aquarius moon. Oh, the Aquarius. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of people think Aquarius is water because it's yeah. water bear, but it's air. So you, yeah. you have double air in there. And so like, and then you have fire. So being grounded is something that's going to be super important, obviously. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you have tons of practices to do that. Um, but what I love, the way I've heard it described once, which I think is really, because I love speaking in story and like folklore, right? It really helps people. So when you tell people a story, it's like, oh, you personify this archetype. And so the way I heard it was that if in polarity, so across the zodiac from Sagittarius is Leo, and if you were to take those two pieces, Sagittarius, or not Sagittarius, sorry, um, Aquarius is the owner of, of um, a basketball team, right? So they're the person that's kind of behind the, the glass. Nobody really knows that they're, they own the team, that they're invested in that happening, that they are, are looking at that bigger picture. But Leo would be the star player on the court, right? The one who's the point guard making all the things happen. And on from the onset, it looks like that person is the star. And and they are in their own right. But they're but what I love about Aquarius is it's actually the one behind the scenes. They are paradigm shifters. Like they have come here 
to shift the paradigm. And all that means is they see what's going on in the world, what's working and what's not working. They find those gaps and they usually, if they're in their power, do something about it. Yeah. So it's really just this archetypal pattern of the, yeah, of the paradigm shifter, but, um, in its shadow, it can be very aloof. It can be very um, quiet. It can keep to itself. This person can be someone who just doesn't engage often. And, and that can be hurtful to a lot of people, but it actually comes from such a place of they need to protect their energy. Like they just need to know when is the right time to engage and with whom. And they're usually pretty good at that too, I find. But uh it's a big job to be a paradigm shifter as well, right? So starting to look at that quality. And they can also get really irritated by Leo energy because it's that bigger than life, look at me sometimes energy, if depending on where you're at in your own uh, harmony within your, within your archetype. But at the same time, that is what they're doing. They're just doing it in a way that isn't as dense and more subtle, if that makes sense. And by dense, I don't mean like stupid. I mean dense like... 3d on this planet the gravity is weighing it down yeah yeah i like that and yeah that is the thing i mean i also have chiron in leo so leo energy is something that i've had to learn to like work on and, and oh yeah heal um but i remember as a kid like when i was really really young i didn't mind being the center of attention but as i got older i hated it so much and that yeah. was something i really had to learn now i'm okay with it obviously i have a podcast that i yeah but um that was definitely something I really had to work through and again like I think that this is an important conversation for people you have to cultivate the opposite always like if you're if you are only living into the the part of your astrology where you have planets and not also cultivating you know the strengths or the talents from the opposite you become off balance right yeah you are yeah. all of it you have yeah all of the signs within you at all times and yeah. it's important to balance them appropriately so totally. yeah cool. i love that i love your way of speaking of archetype you are definitely meant to be doing this work that is for sure do you feel well, that you know, gemini and north node also it's just like yes there's no i i am meant to be communicating and it it's meant to be shared and it's meant to be in the airways and it's meant to be again like that archetype we were talking about about like the diamond right like yeah. um being able to really shine all of that out but through communication so yeah okay let's go into your grand trine okay so you've heard you've had an astrologer kind of break it down for you a little bit yeah a little bit but I find, again, like you said, everyone is so different. So I'm so curious. Yeah. Like well, that. and that's why I love astrology too. It's a science, but it's really, it's an art, which makes it so beautiful. Yeah. Um, okay. So you do have, you have a grand trine in earth. So it's between, whenever you have a grand trine in earth, it's always obviously between Capricorn, Taurus, and Virgo. And for you, it's between, um, well, Mercury and Venus would be sharing the Virgo point in your 12th house. And then your Taurus moon and then your Jupiter in Capricorn. And so on the surface, it looks like it's just an earth trine, but those are the water houses, right? Right. So that when you have, yeah. So when you have earth and water together, it creates this really feminine quality of like receptivity and patience and, you know, waiting for the right time. And what I find with people who have, you know, 
earth shrines, they're super connected to nature, like super, super, super connected to nature. But then also if you build that, um, you know, the water houses into that, it creates like not just a tangible connection. It's like an emotional and spiritual connection to the earth, to the land, to the, the physical body. Right. So grand trines are often, you know, in a person's chart, a grand trine will speak to a gift or a talent or something that they have that just flows really easy. It's an energy of, of, of ease and like deep, deep wisdom, but almost to the point where you don't even notice that you're good at that thing because it just comes so easily to you. And so sometimes this can create inertia. Because when you go to do that thing, it just flows and you don't necessarily have to work at it. So sometimes you don't always, with grand trines, develop the, the grit or the skill that you need to, to actually push that gift forward and get it out into the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when I see, like, you have a lot of, um, of oppositions and squares in your chart, so that actually helps you. So people like to think of the red lines as, like, negative or bad, but you don't want all all easy stuff going on in your chart. You don't develop grit or resilience or any of those types of things. So I would imagine that especially your moon Saturn opposition probably helps you get the, the grand trine kind of off of the ground and like into the world. And so grand trines take a little while to, to pull apart and like deconstruct because they can, you know, come out in so many different ways. But just looking at this, like as soon as I saw your grand trine in earth in the four water houses, I was like, this woman is meant to do deep, deep healing work. And it's all aside from Jupiter, it's with the, the personal planets, right? So it's involving your moon, your Mercury and your Venus, which are all like super important and, and part of you. You carry those parts with you all the time. Whereas your Saturn and Neptune and Pluto, you'll pull into them when you need to, but they're not necessarily always just hanging around right so with this like your grand trying you probably know it because it is so personal to you 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 probably can see it do you have an idea of what it might be so it would be involving um the moon your emotional world your ability to connect and go inward um as well as Mercury, your, your mind and the way you think and the way you download information. Venus, your ability to connect to women, but then also to, to radiate and magnetize. Um, and then Jupiter, the planet of expansion and growth and higher learning. So looking at all of those different pieces, what was the first thing that came to mind? Well, poetry. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So poetry is like something I've done since I was a very little girl. Mm -hmm. You know, like I would write my best friend's poems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Do you still write? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you them? You go deep enough into my IG page, there are lots of poems. On Great. It. There are lots. And I'm about to release a 10-day meditation course. I've never done this before. I hope to have it ready for October, which is 10 days of meditation. It's also moving through the 10 bodies but in a subtle way. So you don't really know that's what I'm teaching, even though mm -hmm. I, I'll dive into it a little bit. And each one has been assigned a different piece of poetry that I've written. And so I've always had this, this ability to just really go in and then pull out the, my information, this healing, this emotion, 
and move it and bring it into words, which is very Venus, right? And, br mm. and bring it into poetry and then offer that as a way to heal myself, as a way to move into deeper healing. And, and it has been really helpful to people over the years. And I've never really done anything with it. You can see a piece of my poetry in video and spoken word if you go to my IG account and then you click on the link tree. So just in the profile, at the very bottom, it'll say spoken word poetry. You oh. can see that. And there's a whole video I did on a piece that I wrote. And then in this 10 day course, you're gonna be guided into meditation. And then I'm gonna read this, these poems to you that are very beautiful and very dear to my heart. And then I'll guide you into a deeper other meditation. And, and um, I've never created anything like this. This is the first time this is gonna be offered. So I'm really excited, but it's also very vulnerable. <laughs> you know, when does it come out? I'm definitely going to sign up. Yeah, so my goal is to have <laughs> 50% done right now. And so mm -hmm. my goal is to have it up by October. Okay, perfect. That's my favorite type of meditation. I love spoken word poetry and things like that. So I will definitely be signing yeah. up for that because that's totally my job. And yeah, you, yeah, you're right. When did you notice that you were gifted at poetry? Was it something that you just kind of thought you like poo-pooed on or did you always recognize that there was a, a special skill there? I, I feel like, like you said, to some degree, it, it just came really naturally to me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really think about it too much. I just knew I liked it. And yeah. I, I was put into a grade seven class or um, a grade seven literature class or English class when I was in grade four, because I just had, while sometimes my spelling, you know, wouldn't be a hundred percent or whatever it was, or my sentence structure wasn't perfect or my grammar. I had these ideas that I could put onto the page that really moved all of my teachers. And so mm -hmm. from a very young age, I had teachers very much invested in me and what I was doing. And I was getting good grades because of the idea that I was bringing forth and the way that I was stringing that idea together. And yeah, so I didn't really think much of it. And I, I wrote poetry for friends and then I stopped for a long time. And, and that I wrote a poem about this, but it's because when I was young, I had a really traumatic event happen with somebody reading my, my diary. And mm -hmm. so I just stopped writing and it yeah. really put a, um, a wedge in that for a while because of that wound. And then I started again in 2016 pretty heavily. And, and be, I, I did just go through another up level, a huge massive initiation over the last two years. It's been very intense and so healing. And I wrote poems in 2016 that were for myself now, but I didn't know that at the time. And so I've reread some of them and I'm just like, what? Like my highest self had to have known that yeah. I, would, I would need these poems to get through the season that I was in. And so now I wanna share those with other people because mm -hmm. I have, like you said, like I have been through some hard lessons in this life. Mm -hmm. Like I had Pluto running amok for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness that's out now. But because of that, you know, I, I learned these really intense lessons. And so one of my greatest gifts is to be able to just be honest and, and, and tell the truth and then help other people heal based on what I've been through. And so poetry is a way that I just really love to deliver that. And it's something that feels very like personal to me and mine, not something as much that's analytical. Like, don't get me wrong. I love, I love, love the neuroscience, the psychology, of you do. Yeah. I love all of that. But then there's this really, there's that artistic side that just wants to write poetry and, and do that for the rest of my days. And those, those aspects will always be part of me. And so mm -hmm. 
um, I, I am very excited to be offering it for the first time ever to people. So. Okay. Yes. I'm really excited about that. And I mean, looking at your chart, of course, you also like the, the, the more brainy kind of stuff, right? You, you know, have a Virgo rising, but then you also have Venus and Mercury in Virgo. So, um, that's really comfortable for you. Um, okay, great. I loved this conversation. It was so great. I'm sure we will meet in person at some point, considering we're, we're not too far from each other. Cause you're, yeah, you're in Calgary. Where can, where can people find you in Calgary? Do you work one-on-one -on -one with people like in person? Yeah, so I I do take on one-on-one -on -one clients on my website, um, and I also teach Kundalini Yoga once a week at a place called Yoga Santosha in Mission in Calgary, so if people want to actually catch a live class, but primarily most of my work is online and will continue to be offered online, and that's because it can reach more people that way, and it's not oh, you have to be good conversation, but you have to be in Calgary to experience any of this, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be a lot more courses coming at the world from me in the next handful of years. And I also am creating membership space and all of that. So it's going to be a lot more accessible moving forward as well. And uh, I'm really excited to be continuing to offer this work in this way. But right now, Healing with Archetypes is my main course which will then move into a course and I'm saying it out loud to keep myself accountable um, <laughs> yeah because <laughs> I'm really great at starting something and having big ideas me too a course that's called archetypes and astrology and as well as archetypes and tarot but I feel I need a I need to to clock a little more hours into that before I feel really good about bringing that into the world so those are things that are coming and then there will be these sessions that will be offered like I said to do readings um, that's mixing tantric numerology, that's mixing um, astrology and archetypes. And we covered such a small amount, like that's yeah. so little of, of how deep it can actually go, but that's just kind of the Coles notes, the basic version. So yeah, those are things. So IG, I'm on at Chalice Grove is my business name. Chalice represents a very divine feminine energy. It's this cup, right? It's the receivership. It holds the water, the liquid, which is hilarious because I I definitely didn't plan this name in this way, but now that I know more about myself, it makes so much sense. And Grove is about the earth, right? Like yeah. Grove is this like masculine, like the way I see it is it's like more of this like rooted um, masculine energy in the sense that it's like rooted and strong, but very feminine in, in its archetypal pattern of the earth mother or even the shaman for that matter, mm -hmm. right? So, and if you look at where Pluto is in my chart, it makes sense that that's yeah. <laughs> part of the thing so so yeah so at chalice grove is ig um i'm at chalicegrove.com on on uh, line and then i use ig more than i use any other platform so that is kind of my main source and then from there there's a link in the profile and you can find many other things that i'm offering i offer free meditations we do 40-day meditations every about 60 days i release another 40-day meditation that the community dives in together so that happens. I have a free workbook that you can download right now that's on the archetype that's keeping you stuck mm -hmm. and what you can do about it. Um, there's also free resources for why it's so important to reprogram your subconscious. So in Healing with Archetypes, we actually go in and reprogram 97 limiting beliefs that exist within the chakras. And that's really important for this time because anytime you're not present in your life, which is like 95% of the time, you're operating out of your subconscious off of that program, right? 
yeah patterns and those archetypes so lots of free resources and lots of really beautiful opportunities to connect so that's where we can so much okay i love it yeah and i'll link everything in the show notes so people can find you i'm sure that that this will send people your way um you have a really gifted ability to bring and this is what i love this is what this whole podcast is about you have this gifted ability to take these big ideas and bring them down to the earth in a way that people can actually understand which i think is so important because a lot of these conversations that we're having right now um, I find can be inaccessible for, you know, the, the regular average person, right? And so there's a, a huge learning curve. So I love when people are doing this work, but they're doing it in a way that is easily accessible for everyone. So, yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much for coming on. Um, I love this conversation. It was so great. And I will definitely be reaching out for some one-on-one -on -one work in the future too. So. Yeah, and I just want to finish by saying the next round of Healing with Archetypes launches September 18th. Okay, perfect. Anyone who clicks on any of those links, they can take a look into that and see if that's something that resonates with them moving forward. Beautiful. I'll link that directly in the show notes. I'm, yeah. Cool. That's very, very, very cool. It was so nice to chat with you. You are very lovely. And I just want to say you also have this very feminine energy to yourself that I know probably for a lot of years you also denied similar like I, I come from the same boat but just to be the reflection of that you also have this very divine like nurturing mother cancer archetypal energy to you mm -hmm. as well that's really beautiful thank you I appreciate that and I love that um yeah I'm sure we'll connect again in the future thank you so much for coming on and I really yeah I really appreciated you having you so thank yeah, you thank you for asking me have such a good day yes you too Bye. bye All right, so that wraps up our episode for today. I hope you guys liked that conversation as much as I did. I love meeting new people and um, just talking with people about the things that they're passionate about. And Krista definitely brings a level of expertise and passion into the work that she does that I really admire. So this was a really fun episode for me to record. They all are, but I have my favorites for sure. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at her website right now. I'm going to link her website so you can access not only her Healing with Archetypes program, but then also the new Alchemy Meditation course, which is going to be so bomb. I would also recommend checking out her spoken word poetry, which again, I will link that in the show notes or you can find it in her um, IGTV. No, not her IGTV, her regular Instagram link in bio. Hope you guys are having a wonderful week and I will talk to you all later.